The Athletic. Hello and welcome to the Athletic Women's Football Podcast. Coming up, it's two wins out of two for all the home nations in the World Cup qualifiers. 18 goals for England's Lionesses across their ties. Plus, with Steph Horton forced to pull out through injury, Leah Williamson gets the captain's nod. And there's some tasty fixtures in the WSL for us to preview too. Well, joining myself, Kate Borsay and Lindsay Hooper this week from The Athletic, it's Holly Percival. How are you, Holly? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Very well, thank you very much. Tell us what you do for The Athletic. I spend most of my time working on the news team, covering all the headlines within football and giving you all the latest updates, as well as trying to dive into women's football if and when I can, really. And tell us about some of the the topics that you've covered in women's football. What are you looking at at the moment? This week, I'm working on a piece on FIFA 22 and the female players that are featured in the game that comes out uh, at the start of next month. So it's going to be quite interesting to take a look at the players involved in that This is obviously a new thing that's happened. It's a step forward in the game. Um, Tell us about the players that have been included, because there's only a small number of them, 22. Yeah, so Vivian Meadmart tops the 22 players, understandably. She's a great player. Uh, Lucy Bronze is also up really high with her rating. So there's a lot of USA players as well. So if uh, you're a big fan of the US team, it's definitely worth taking a look at and building a team with those. Um, And Frank Kirby has a nice little feature as well in those 22. Have FIFA sort of kept with the concept of using really well-known players, identifiable players, because that's what's going to bring more fans to the game? It does feel that way a little bit, and I'll be looking at that in the piece this week. Megan Rapinoe is an amazing player for the United States. However, I would argue whether her ranking is a little bit too high at this point in her career. So we're going to be taking a look at that this week. But there is, I think, six USA players in this 22 and do they get ranked on exactly the same criteria as what the men do? And, and will they maybe get a little touchy about it like the men do? <laughs> it's a really good question. I think there's a lot of taboo around how FIFA rank their players. Obviously, when the men's ratings came out, people were qu- quite surprised at Ronaldo's ratings compared to uh, Lionel Messi's. So it's nice to see some debates happening as to just who's been left out. A lot of the Barcelona players who won the Champions League have not featured in this 22. So... I think some people are starting to kind of take notice and argue for different cases, which is really exciting to see. Well, let's get stuck into the agenda for today's show. Of course, we've got the WSL coming up this weekend, so we'll preview some of those games. But first of all, we should turn our attention to international matters and some World Cup qualifying. You're listening to the Athletic Women's Football Podcast, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. And the first... England goal for Millie Bright. I've never seen Fran Kirby take so many corners in my life. I didn't know she could. Will there be another? There is another. There won't be a more popular goal scorer in the England team this week than Rachel Daly. Must pick out an English shot in the middle. She does. And England have ten. Since we last recorded, England have played two matches, the last one being against Luxembourg. 
and they were 10-0 winners. That's 18 goals across their two matches. Uh, let's focus in on the on the latest match then, um, because Serena Wiegmann very much uh, commending her players. I think she started to see something there that she, she's wanting to instill, certainly in the, the attitude and belief. Uh, what did you make, first of all, Holly, of, of the performance? I think it was a very, very convincing win, understandably with a 10-0 goal line. But <laughs> I think it was really nice to kind of see the players become more gelled again and kind of understanding of each other and how they play. There was a few players out of position or not in a position that we've seen them play for some time. So it's just been nice to see new faces, old faces come together again under the Lionesses and just kind of find their feet again. I think against North Macedonia, Kate, um, you could tell that there was the start of something. But Serena played it down a little bit, that performance, even though it, it was emphatic still. But this one, did you feel there was a step up against Luxembourg into into this reign under her? Um, I think so. I mean, I think Serena Wiegmann had um, a right to be not entirely satisfied with the performance over North Macedonia, just simply because eight goals from 48 shots, you could argue not enough. And there were players there who were brilliant, like Ella Toon, but you could also argue with Ella that she perhaps didn't take her chances as she should have done. So I think Serena Wiegmann was right to kind of issue that warning after the North Macedonia game. It's, it's I think it's hard when you play opposition like North Macedonia or Luxembourg because it doesn't tell you the whole story. You need to get into the detail of the game, don't you? You need to look at where people are positionally, how they're combining together and whether people are taking their chances. And I think she was right to level that criticism after the North Macedonia game. What I liked with Luxembourg is she didn't sort of mess around with the team too much. We saw Frank Kirby starting, Nikita Paris starting. But unlike Hegarisa, we're starting to see quite a regular group of players here. Certainly for these fixtures, I know that there are injuries, bear in mind. But I like the fact that she didn't mess around with the team too much some good performances in this one. I think I, I want to start, I mean, there's lots to talk about, but I want to start by the selection of Leah Williamson as captain, Steph pulling out um, before the North Macedonia game. And not what a revelation she's been, but how well she stepped up to the job. Playing in that midfield position as well, I think that's you know certainly something we need to flag as a big success of these last two fixtures, Linz. I don't know what you think. Yeah, I think it's an interesting one with the choice of captain. I was delighted for her and she's obviously been playing from a very young age, from about 16 through for Arsenal. So she's got so many senior appearances under her cap that you you actually think that she she would be deemed one of the more elder statesmen of the team, even though she isn't. Mm. But She's also but captained the unders as well, hasn't she? She's she's captained um, England through, through other age groups. She's also captained Arsenal at times. Um, so, yeah, she has got experience, but I think the thing that you would look at is the squad as a whole and some of the other experienced players in that squad who might, who might, and this is one of the things that we have to uh, just try and talk about between ourselves because we don't know, but they might have thought that they were more entitled to them be the next captain choice. It felt in the post-match interviews that it was very well received and everyone was accepting of it. But it's one of those. And I just wonder, Holly, behind the scenes, it is decisions like that that can divide. And I think we are we are bordering on a new era with England. I know that Steph Horton is captain as it stands. I think she's openly said herself at 33 that, you know, that isn't going to continue forever. And I, I imagine, I just have an inkling that for Serena, one of the things that she can change quite quickly is that captaincy choice. And it could be the start of someone new for a long time. It may 
may well be Leah, it could be someone else, but that choice could have a real impact on the squad. Yeah, I think I completely agree. I think what it shows from Serena is that it's extremely forward thinking to pick Leah over the likes of Jill Scott or Ellen White, for example, because Leah will have more game time over those people who are edging towards the end of their career, unfortunately, for England. But I think Leah showed how important it is to have someone who's extremely calm and collected in almost any situation. So having someone like Leah in her role has been, I think, the main reason why England have already looked so settled and so in unison as a team already. We need to whistle through some more points here. Uh, Fran Kirby and Corners, who knew? Apparently Emma Hayes didn't know. (laughs) She said she felt that Fran was going to be knocking on her door the day after the match um, and then onwards. But Fran Kirby's Corners resulting in at least two goals. There's that to mention. And also success from the back as well. Centre-backs Millie Bright and Alex Greenwood both getting on the score sheet with a brace each. Yeah, I think that's really exciting that both defenders have managed to get their names on the score sheet. Serena Wiegmann has got a tough task ahead, picking her defensive line, injuries or or no injuries. So Greenwood and Bright, I think, have to be at the forefront of Wiegmann's mind defensively and what they can bring on set pieces uh, on the attack as well. But I'm glad to see both of them really shining again after some difficult performances under the Lionesses. I did smile with the Frank Kirby corners because what you've got in Alex Greenwood, as well as getting a brace in this, but her delivery is so on point. It's so accurate. She puts it on a postage stamp most of the time. She is one of those players I sort of rely on in the corner free kick taking uh, positions because um, I don't think I don't think consistency wise anyone can sort of match her. But it's great to know that there's options there. I also think that what happened as a result from the Olympics and the the squad being reduced and certain players like Alex Greenwood missing out is we've got a real hunger now. Um, I think Alex Greenwood shone in this. I think Beth Mead, both domestically and for England, has looked like she really wants to cement her place. And it's created this competition and new manager add that in and trying to impress. I think what you've got right now is this cauldron of, of lionesses and players for her to sort of look at and think, well, yeah, you know what, I've got, I've got lots of options there is competition for places and I, I imagine we might see some rotation that brings me on to the goalkeeper position because I think this is one of the most important for her to nail down soon and we saw Mary Earps having not much to do how much can we judge on that and how much do we think that she's the leading contender to be the number one I don't. I mean, if I'm to weigh in here, uh, I feel bad for Mary Earps, actually, because she's not really been given a chance. I don't think she, well, she barely needed, she barely had a touch of the ball, did she, really? So for me, it's still Ellie Roebuck, I think, because of Ellie's all-round game. But it is a shame that Mary Earps would have been absolutely chomping at the bit to show what she can do and didn't really get that opportunity. Holly, I'm not sure what you think. Yeah, I really like Mary Earps a lot. And when she hadn't featured for the, for the England team for the last few selections, I was quite disappointed. But I, I really w- did wish that she had had the chance to kind of show what she can offer to Wiegmann. So Ellie Roebuck has to be at the forefront of the mind, in my opinion, as well. But Mary Earps seems like, at l- the very least, the best second option. When you look at the opposition that England have just faced, the reason why I say this is the most important position is if you are playing the likes of France or Spain or Germany, I mean, let's talk about Germany and Spain because that new competition has been announced as well, uh, replacing the She Believes Cup. And we know that those are two of the teams, Germany and Spain, that are going to be in it. 
uh, you'd have to have a much sterner defence. Now, the defence can only work when you've got a unit and you know week in, week out, or pretty much every match, who's going to be between the sticks and then the defence that's going to be in front of that. And I think that's an area where you can't risk too much rotation. So Mary Earps, if it's going to be her, I think that would be great to just nail it down now. I don't think there's too much difference between her and Ellie Roebuck. I suppose Ellie Roebuck sometimes doesn't have those those moments. You, you know, what I'm going to say is that I think Mary's probably susceptible occasionally uh, to doing something maybe on the erratic side, but but that's also something that she's probably matured out of and and deserves a shot. But either way, I would prefer to see someone have that number one shirt for a consistent amount of time because of that defence relationship and building that going forward into the home Euros um, than to be swapping and changing. I don't know about you both. Yeah, I think... If Ellie can return from injury quick enough, I would stick with making Roebuck the number one. But I think that decision does have to happen quickly for Wiegmann. Well, interestingly enough, uh, the Athletics' Michael Cox has written a piece on Leah Williamson and her role in midfield for England versus playing in defence for Arsenal. It'll be a great read and that'll be up on The Athletic very shortly, if not already. Let's just round robin some of the other home nation results then. Scotland beating the Faroe Islands 7-1 at Hampden Park. Cracking scoreline that one. Wales beat Estonia 1-0 and Northern Ireland got the better of Latvia 4-0. Those were the most recent games. The next fixture for both England and Northern Ireland is when both teams meet at Wembley on the 23rd of October. Hopefully as well, we will get more crowds in for this one. Um, we don't really have time to go into this point too much, but um, I know from, from listening to other outlets and also reading quite a lot of articles on The Athletic about the proposals for a World Cup every two years and the impact that would have on women's football. There's a bit of a debate to be had there, but also about playing these minnows. Um, you know, it's all very well and good beating Luxembourg 10-0, um, but what do the Lionesses learn from that? What does Scotland learn from beating the Faroe Islands 7-1? And how's that reflect? and hits on the attendances as well because the 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 reaction on social media that the eight or so thousand on Friday night for the game against North Macedonia would have been higher had it been different opposition. That's been one of the, the themes that I've picked up on. So I'm, I'm wondering whether England, Northern Ireland will attract more in the 20, 25,000 realm, which would be fantastic to see. Uh, that's 23rd of October for that one. Um, but just for both of you quickly, I mean, what do you think about the the standard of opposition and what that does for the game? Because of course, for those smaller nations, it is a huge day out for them, but I'm not so sure what the likes of England and Scotland and other nations are learning from these experiences. Yeah, it makes me slightly nervous about the reception towards the 2023 Women's World Cup with the new expansion. I remember the previous Women's World Cup in France when USA beat Thailand by quite the margin that that was talked about a lot on social media and kind of questioned the standard of women's football um, around the globe. So I'm I'm hopeful that teams will have the chance to improve and and use these experiences between now and the next World Cup, but it, it's definitely one to keep an eye on. Tom Gary's written a piece about this in The Telegraph, actually, about whether there should be a two-tier system of qualifying where you've got, you know, one stage with some of the smaller countries and then the bigger, bigger rank sides or higher rank sides brought in at a later stage. It's really tricky, isn't it? Because you don't want to deny smaller teams the chance to play bigger sides. But you're absolutely right to question how much of a test this is uh, for teams like England when they're playing much lower ranked sides. Um, I guess people asking, what is the point of that? Um, 
it'll be a tricky one to rework if it is reworked. Ultimately, I'm not sure whether anyone's brave enough to do it, Linz. <laughs> no, but I suppose I suppose if the if the game's going to keep growing, the next area that has to be addressed is attendances at matches. And and that's what I mean is that the North Macedonia, I think I think eight or so thousand at St. Mary's wasn't a bad turnout. In fact, I think it was probably a bit better than what I thought it would be. But if that had been England against Spain or Germany or we we know that that would have been greater right so it's having an effect on the bums on seats and I think that's just something for everyone to bear in mind as well Do you like Formula One but struggle to keep up with everything that's going on? Then we have the podcast for you Introducing the Race F1 Briefing the podcast that brings you the latest F1 headlines in 15 minutes or less With new episodes dropping on all four days of every race event, you'll never miss out on hearing what went down in practice, qualifying or the Grand Prix itself. And we'll also bring you all the behind the scenes news and gossip from the F1 paddock as well. If that sounds like the F1 podcast for you, search The Race F1 Briefing in your podcast app of choice. We'd love to have you join us. All right, shall we start previewing the weekend's action? Because we've got, a well, a few corkers coming up. You're listening to The Athletic Women's Football Podcast. If you're not yet a subscriber to The Athletic, you can get a third off a subscription right now by heading to theathletic.com forward slash WSL pod. Shall we begin with the big one? And we're going to dub this one the big one on Sunday, Super Sunday. Arsenal against Manchester City. It's a 6.45pm kickoff. And and I feel like going into this one, Manchester City are going to be feeling like they are the underdogs because of that growing injury list that they've got, Holly. And Arsenal, having the start that they've had, being at home too, must feel like the favourites for this one. Yeah, I would definitely put all of my coins in Arsenal's bag, if I'm honest. <laughs> City's injury list is worryingly long. I mean, I construct I can't even think of a back line for them to put up against such a strong Arsenal forward three. So I think it has to be Arsenal, especially after their performances so far this season compared to City. That I mean, that controversial two one loss to Spurs probably hasn't done wonders for their um for their confidence. So I it has to be Arsenal for me. Do you want a good stat, Linz, here? Yeah, None go of the on. 15 league matches between Arsenal and Manchester City have ended in a draw. So if we're to go with history, it is either going to be a win or loss, no draw. Um, but I am, I, <laughs> no, I, I it's am. a draw now. It'll be a yeah, high-scoring yeah, draw. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, uh, we do really need to highlight the issues that City have got in defence and who they've got to put in there instead. I mean, yeah, we know I, that I, there's I, no Ellie Roebuck, no no Lucy Bronze, Karen Bardsley, obviously the goal is out long-term. No, There's no Kira Walsh, no Steph Horton, no Esme Morgan, no Chloe Kelly, no Caroline Weir, no Hayley Rasso, no Alex Greenwood probably. Um, so they are going to have to probably switch to three at the back and maybe, maybe follow Chelsea's lead, uh, in that respect. Um, Mm. what on earth are they going to do, Holly, if we're to look at the players available? I mean, this is, this is going to be a test of resilience. And the only thing that I would say is maybe they are so depleted of numbers that Taylor is going to whip them up into a frenzy, make them work, that they're going to have to work together. They won't have options from the bench either. They're going to have to take it to Arsenal right right from the off aren't they otherwise they 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 will just get swallowed yeah I think City's game plan has to be to apply as much pressure as possible from the top 
um, and therefore take as much pressure off their defensive line as possible. It will be great to see Alana Kennedy hopefully lead that back line and use her experience in the game to soften the blow for City if they are to lose. But it'll be interesting to see what the decisions are. Maybe Jill Scott moves further back with her experience as well, but she's obviously been out for England in the international break. Ruby Mace maybe plays out wide as well, but there's so many ifs and buts to City's I don't think you're going to see... I don't think you're going to see high press here. It would be such a dangerous move for Manchester City to leave those gaps because we've seen how punishing Arsenal can be on the counter-attack. I honestly believe that Gareth Taylor is going to be saying if we can get to half-time at nil-nil, if we can maybe just pack out midfield and put a block in front of our defence as well and just make it so, so hard for them to break us down. It's certainly not going to be them on the front foot. You can forget that. They're not going to be taking in the game to Arsenal it would be naive to do that it would be really naive I mean his team talk certainly has to include something along the lines of with the injury list we're going to have to treat this like when you go down to 10 men and suddenly you see those galvanised performances because they've lost a player but they managed to get something out of it it's like that from the off I mean the right back position the fact that Esme Morgan got that awful injury and has, has actually got a fracture on her shin and she was the replacement for Lucy Bronze Right back, right now, we're thinking it's probably going to be Georgia Stanway again. If Hayley Rasso is fit, she could be deployed in that role. But there is going to be an amount of juggling and rejigging to this squad that is going to upset a, a bit of a rhythm. They are not going to be able to play the Manchester City style football that that we know. And I think he will be quite accepting of that. But it's going to be about frustrating Arsenal. Surely that has to be the game plan. Yes, um, I just, I just, I just have no idea who he's going to put where and how Gareth Taylor's going to going to do it because they'll because they'll still be hurting after that um, after that defeat last week with Ayan's um, handball. They they are they are still going to be bitter about that. Um, quick word on injury for Arsenal. Something to note here: uh, Frieda Marnham was forced off uh, while playing with Norway. Um, remember, they've got Barcelona in a few weeks as well. Arsenal, um, hopefully, just a minor knock, but but just a slight injury concern there for Arsenal. I mean, Arsenal are going to be rubbing their hands together at this one as well. And it will be a great one to watch as well. So I'm really, really looking forward to <laughs> oh, it. You look down the list as well. I'm just looking at the, at the team news ahead of this one. And just as City are getting another knock and another possible out, you know, Arsenal, you, you look down and they've got Ford who could be back. You know, they've got players returning and that will feel like a, an extra asset for them. Um, I think it's really good that we get to hear from someone in that City camp. Uh, Nancy Frostick has been speaking with City striker Janine Becky for The Athletic. And these are her thoughts ahead of this top tier clash as City face Arsenal on Sunday. Yeah, I mean, they've had a good start to the season. They have, you know, Beth Mead is in good form, obviously. Uh, Viv uh, Miedema is always a threat. So, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's a top-of-the-table clash in, in every sense. You know, two of the best teams in the league, two teams with the most talented players. It always it, It's always a stage for a, for a good game. So we expect nothing less than to get the best of them, and they should expect to get the best of us. So it's a, it's a top game early on in the season, which we've not seen a lot of in, in the seasons that I've been here. You know, the big matchups tend to come middle to end of the season. So it's a bit of a different challenge for us to be facing, you know, such a good team so early on. But, you know, if I was, if I was them, I'd be pretty terrified of playing us right now with, you know, two back-to-back disappointing games. We've got a lot, um, 
you know, a lot of fire there, a lot of motivation to put in a good performance and put a lot of goals in the back of the net. So, um, yeah, I would definitely not want to be them <laughs> in this scenario, but it'll be a top game. Um, and, you know, it's on Sky, which is amazing. So hopefully we get yeah. a good the audience and and continue to, to push, push the women's game and, and show off what we can do in this league and in one of the top games. You can read more from Becky over on The Athletic. If you're not yet a subscriber, then head to theathletic.com forward slash WSL pod for a third off the subscription. A couple of points for us to make from that, Kate. And I know you're chomping at the bit because the fighting talk. You love you love talk <laughs> like that. Well, she was she was definitely giving it some some transatlantic fighting talk, wasn't she? Lots and lots of belief. Fair play if all the players go out with that conviction. But I just wonder um, what the injury look, list looked like when she made those comments. Um, what else can she do apart from talk like that and be positive? But yeah, good luck. Good luck to City because it's definitely against them for this one. Uh, she also mentioned in there, Holly, about the fact that you don't get these like grandstand fixtures so early on in the season. But we've already seen Arsenal-Chelsea on the opening day. And as Kate will love me to remind you, she's already tipped Arsenal for the title. And, uh, <laughs> and Arsenal got, you know, got the better of Chelsea. If they get the better in this fixture as well, another big one in the title race so early on, would you say that they then become the ones to catch and certainly the ones to look out for for the rest of the season? And that's so early on to be saying that. It is very early on. And I think while everyone wants a really exciting title race, I think if Arsenal win this weekend, they have to be the ones that are seen as the ones to win the league. They have to be the ones to beat. So it's great to see that Brighton are doing so well so far this season, but I wouldn't say they've been massively tested um, as of yet. So if Brighton can keep that run against the top three, then maybe it's not just Arsenal that people need to keep an eye out for. Mm. Linz, quick one here. Really, City can't afford to lose another game this season. If you think about Chelsea last season, they had that loss against Brighton. If City lose this game... Do we then immediately write them out of the title race or is that really unfair? I just I just can't see how they can claw it back personally. The only thing I would say is that we're judging it on seasons gone by where teams have usually only lost one or two matches maximum in order to win the title. But what I think we possibly are ignoring and I think could be different this season, especially with all the cameras on them now as well. I think we're getting some different results. You know, Spurs beating City the last time was was a real shock, I think, for people. But I think that's going to happen more. So I, I personally don't think it's going to be a case of if you lose one or two, you you won't get the title. I think that more, more teams will grab points off, off each other. But it certainly wouldn't be good. I mean, you're talking at three three defeats or four defeats. Can you win the title in WSL? I don't think you can. No, so, of course you can't. Yeah. So yeah, it, it, is, it is really fine margins, but I do think that there will be more competition this season. Shall we move on to our next game then? It takes place lunchtime Sunday, 12.30. Kickoff Manchester United take on Chelsea. Another fixture for us to rub our hands together in glee over. Um, Holly, let's get your take on this one. Uh, Chelsea <laughs> back on track after that lo- uh, after losing that opening fixture against Arsenal. They had that 4-0 win over Everton. Manchester United, two wins out of two, conceding just one goal. Um, two very exciting teams to look at. Where's the difference going to be, do you think, between these two sides? I think that's a really good question. And I think a lot of it will come down to how affected have players been by the international duty. Fran 
Frank Kirby, sorry, has been managing her workload. So will she be available from the start? Will be interesting to wait and see. So I think it is going to be that attacking line. I'm a really big fan of Ella Toon and she has been unbelievable so far for Manchester United this season. So I think it will just come down to who gets off the mark first. And if Ella Toon is to be in the starting 11 this weekend, I would part of me would back my money to say that Man United scores first. Oh, interesting. It's right of you to point to the attack because of what's gone before, Holly. Um, certainly topping XG, Mark Skinner, they have looked a real threat. But I do wonder, and knowing how much as well the Manchester United fans rate Millie Turner, how much her loss will be because they've only conceded one goal, haven't they? And allowed three shots on target in both their matches, Manchester United. But without Millie Turner... Is that a different prospect? And is that the wrong timing to be facing your Kirby's, your Kerr's, your Chelsea, just juggernauts of, of, of options there that Emma Hayes has in her attack? Uh, I wonder if it could come down to that because against Leicester, that was a really serious injury. And I just think you could tell by the reactions how valuable a player Millie Turner is. I think so, yeah. And I think your spot on, Linz, was saying that it'll be largely about how United's defence will be able to contain Chelsea's attack. Um, United are attacking much better this season, as we've pointed out uh, with the XG. It's not just uh, not just Ella Toon as well. Martha Thomas has been good. Uh, Leah Galton's been very good as well. But how much are Chelsea going to take it to United to exploit a potentially weak back line? On the flip side of that, I'm, I might even talk talk myself out of this. Chelsea have been working with that back three, haven't they? Um, because of options. Uh, lack of fullback options for Emma Hayes. Uh, it's, it, do you know it's really hard to call? But I think Chelsea might just well show their strength and experience in this one. This is where Manchester United might be a little bit exposed, Holly. After the Arsenal loss, I feel like Chelsea's backline is definitely their weakest area. And I think while Emma Hayes is an amazing coach, they still need to figure that backline out slightly. Neve Charles played as a fullback for Chelsea in that Champions League final, and it didn't quite go to plan. So. Do Chelsea try and revert back to a back four here and try and find more of a steady back line and then still utilise a, a front three? It'll be interesting to see, but I think Chelsea I don't think they will, you it. know, Holly. I, I, I feel like the maybe the bigger mission here is trying to get harder more of the ball and the 3-4-3 system works for, works for that out. purpose, doesn't it? It definitely does. It definitely does. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know. It's an interesting one because you're right. I think we could see two two teams go right at it and United, I think, will be slightly weaker without Turner. I think Chelsea have got their weaknesses in defence and we could get a really high scoring game. Oh, I don't know about a high scoring game. I just, yeah, yeah. I don't know for this one. Chelsea are the slight favourites for me, but I'll be really interested to see how they both match up against each other. Should we move on to the next one? On to Tottenham against Reading. This is a two o'clock kickoff on Sunday. Um, and it's one that you'd file probably under not a classic. But I guess with Spurs' recent win over Manchester City, there'll be a few more eyes on this one to see who's going to come out on top. Um, they came off the back of an incredible shot, didn't they, Spurs? And that will really juvenate them. Do you think going into this one, it's Spurs that have the edge, both of you? I would say Spurs definitely have the edge on this one. If I was a Spurs player, I would be still buzzing off of the fact that you've just beat Manchester City 2-1 all by a controversial second goal. So I think that they have to be going into this game with all the confidence in the world. And I think that that can play the biggest part for them in getting a few better results than what they did last season. 
Yeah, I think, you know, Reading have had a tough start to the season, haven't they? And and I know Spurs are coming off that, um, coming off that perhaps slightly fortuitous win against Manchester City, but uh, a win is a win and they were able to get into that position. So very good for them. I wonder whether this is a good game for Kelly Chambers to just start to start to reassert her team. Not many of the Reading players involved in international action, but then I guess you could say that for Spurs as well. Natasha Dowie's back as well. And she's the sort of player, Lindsay, as we well know, with her experience could really push Reading forward and start to maybe exploit a little bit of the um, a little bit of the immaturity I want to say in Spurs that we see sometimes with just a team um, team still growing and still yet to kind of reach their absolute peak if that's if that's a fair comment. Yeah, I think Dowie could be quite a handful actually because there were mistakes in that game. I was I was at the Manchester City match and as as well as Spurs did, there were moments when they showed their frailties and she's the sort of player that will pounce on those. Any mistakes, any errors, any poor back passes, they're just going to have to be slick because otherwise she she will pounce. The only thing that you'd say is is she going to get the service? At the minute, they've only had three shots on target reading and no goals to show for it. You could say that could be down to the finishing, but I I'm not convinced that the supply has been brilliant either. So it is going to be a real test for Reading this one. Um, we'll move on to the next one as well, which is also at the same time, Brighton against Aston Villa on the same day on Sunday. Um, and Brighton, top of the table, you know, two wins, seven goals. Their confidence can't be any higher. They've not conceded a single goal. And Aston Villa will have to be a bit wary. Carla Ward, very astute, but she will know that, you know, winning breeds winning here, Holly. It does. I think Aston Villa are still finding their feet under Carla Ward and I think that momentum is slowly building over in the West Midlands. You know, to come back 1-0 down from Leicester to win 2-1 and and then to end up drawing to West Ham who had a pretty decent season last season. I think it shows that they have got a lot of fighting about them. So hopefully they can take the lead against Brighton but it's Brighton have had a really good start to the season so it would be surprised me if Aston Villa were to pull off a win. I feel the same about Brighton. Home game for them. The momentum is with them. I can't see anything other than a win. Let's move on to the next one then. Same kickoff time, two o'clock on Sunday. West Ham take on Leicester City. Mixed start to the season really for West Ham so far. Lost to Brighton and a draw with Villa. I feel like we're still yet to see their best team. And if Leicester City are savvy about this, Holly, they could they could spring a result here. Yeah, I'd really be backing Leicester this weekend. I think that they really need to find their feet in the first time in the WSL. Morgan's going to be looking at West Ham's weaknesses um, after a mixed start um, to the season. So will it be a decider as to who's going to be at the bottom of the league this season? Potentially, but hopefully it will still be an exciting game that I think I'd have to put Leicester towards winning. Sounds like both of you are going for Leicester in this one and and I'm not going to. I feel like I am actually. I am as well, yeah. Are you going to go for a home win? No, I'm going to go for a draw in this one. I think it'll be another draw. I was at the West Ham Villa game and West Ham started that game really well. I mean, they could have actually put the game to bed and had other opportunities. Again, it's about being clinical. But yeah, I I honestly think that West Ham have got enough to get something out of this in front of their home crowd as well. There's, There's things starting to click in areas of the West Ham team that I think maybe we're not paying enough attention to. But Leicester coming back and having the facilities they've got, I honestly think they're more likely to pick up their their results at home. But let's see on this one. I'm happy to be proven wrong, but I I would perhaps go for another one or draw here. Next one, Everton take on Brighton. This is the 11.30 kickoff 
on Saturday. Sky, are you going to be there? Lindsay, I think you're probably going to be here as well at Walton Hall Park. <laughs> yeah. um, Everton, goodness me, not had the start to the season that they wanted at all. They'll be pleased, I think, to have this game. Um, and I guess the important point here is they cannot embarrass themselves any further. This is this this is the point at which they need to turn their season around, Lindsay. Well, you've just said it because I think if they lose here, then they probably embarrass themselves even further. But I don't think that will happen. Um, and the reason being, one of the one of the things that I think Willie Kirk has benefited from more than any other coach, and and there are other coaches that haven't had as many players on international duty, but for him, he's had pretty much the bulk of his squad together because it was a lot of different players, new names new characters to get gelling and it just wasn't happening at the start of the season. Um, You see the names on paper and they are standout, they're fantastic, but altogether it just wasn't working. But he's had extra time with them on the training pitch and when there are a few other teams that have perhaps been missing players, um, he will have benefited from that extra time. And I I can't see anything really other than with with having Tony Duggan there, having Izzy Christensen there, some of that experience as well that hopefully will filter through this team and some of the new signings. Um, I think Everton should click in this one. They should start to show their teeth in this WSL campaign. Um, and, and it's unfortunate for Birmingham. But, you know, if you are on that that side of the fence, then I think you're probably thinking this is as good a time as any to try and get to, to an Everton team that's confidence is low and they've, they've looked a bit brittle at times um I'm sure having done all the video analysis they will be identifying areas that they can try and get at Everton it's just whether they can do that for 90 minutes the thing that I question with this Birmingham team that I have since the off as you'll know Kate is is just the ability to be able to do it for, for the whole match you know I think they have spells where they show some great intent but it's just maintaining that over the course of 90 or 90 plus minutes and a few of the championship sort of players that have made that step up. I think that's the the big ask of them this season. Yeah, um, I think you're right. But I like the optimism. If there's a game where they can get something, remember the old adage of three wins in a WSL season might well do it for you. Could this be Birmingham's chance? Uh, It could be, it could be. Holly, there have been loads of questions, haven't there, about what's gone wrong uh, for Everton this season. What's your analysis having looked at the team? I think they still look slightly unfamiliar with each other. So like mentioned They've had a week off to kind of really focus on a lot in training. So I think if Duggan is starting with and with her experience, I think that Everton could find their feet in this game. So I'm excited probably the most for this game outside of the big game to see how Everton finally perform. And is there any hope for Birmingham, Holly? It's, it's a good question. Birmingham is a team that I do really like and Scott Booth is a, is a very experienced manager. So... In this game particularly, I think Birmingham will struggle to keep up with the intensity that I'm sure Willie Kirk is going to enforce into this game. So I think it's going to be a slightly longer, more long-term sorry, solution for Birmingham City going forward. Well, that's all for this week. We should round it up just there. Hopefully, we've got you excited about another game week in the WSL. Uh, Lindsay, remind us where we can see you. You're going to be at Walton Hall Park for Everton, Birmingham. Where else? Yeah, I'm topping and tailing the weekend, so I'll be at Walton Hall for that that clash and then I'll finish off uh, with the one that we started with right at the top. I'll be at Boreham Wood to see Arsenal taking on Manchester City. And Holly, you're working on your piece uh, about the female players in FIFA 22, so we'll expect to see that hopefully by the end of the week or so. How long is it going to take you? (laughs) 
<laughs> yes, that's a very good question. I'll be working hard uh, today and tomorrow for that. Fantastic. You can check that out at The Athletic. Uh, lots of women's football news there and also at offsiderulepodcast.com at offsiderulepod if you want to follow us on social. And uh, of course, you can keep across The Athletic socials as well. Plenty more to come from us. We'll be back with you next week to digest what will hopefully be an action-packed weekend in the WSL, Linz. Yes, and it's been lovely hearing from new listeners, people finding the show, getting interested in women's football. Keep those messages coming. I saw a few of those this week, Kate, on social media. And it's also worth a reminder as well. um, On Apple Podcasts, you can leave a review on there if you get your show from there. But wherever you get it, leave us five stars and it'll help boost the show so (laughs) other people can find us. We'll see you next week. You've been listening to the Athletic Women's Football Podcast. You can listen ad-free via the Athletic app. Keep up to date with everything we're doing by going to The Athletic UK or at Offside Rule Pod on Twitter and on Insta. And you can find out the latest subscription offers by heading to theathletic.com forward slash WSL pod. The Athletic Women's Football Podcast was an Athletic Media Company production. The Athletic.